Well, good morning again, everybody. I promised you last week that we were going to be uh, talking a little bit about what Maddie and I learned a little bit, I guess, over uh, when we went on our honeymoon and saw the Creation Museum in the Ark. Um, so, I try to deliver on my promises. Sometimes I fail, but I try to. So today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. Now, of course, the account of Noah takes place over three or four whole chapters in Genesis. We're not going to go into all of those. Um, we'd be here a while. If we were going to do the whole account of Noah, we'd best break it down into, you know, two or three sermons. So instead, we're going to focus on this section in chapter 6, verses 9 through 22, which I, I personally think bring about the crux of the story of Noah, right? Why, besides the fact that the world was desperately wicked, why this story, why we have this story in the Bible? What is God trying to teach us through it? Let's read it, and then we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the notes and stuff, and no, oh well, I did make one mistake on your notes, but it is not that there's no fill in the blanks. Down under the second point there, it says, we don't know what Noah I forgot to put the word did afterward, apparently. So I apologize. I did make one mistake on your notes, but it's not that there's no fill in the blanks. But let's read this, this passage of Scripture, and then we'll go into it. Genesis chapter 6, 9 through 22. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top. And set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing on the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Let's unpack this a little bit. The title of this sermon, as you'll notice, is more than a Sunday school story. Now, this is not a knock on our Sunday school that we have after church, I promise, Right after church, you go down the hallway, third door on your right, Sunday school. 
But right, we hear this story. Uh, how many times do you hear an actual, you know, you know, on Sunday morning pastor teach about Noah? It's not often. It seems to be reserved for what mom is doing right now. And no, she's not teaching on Noah. But what she's doing with the kids, oh, it's a fun little, fun little Sunday school story. Look how God took care of people. It's not a fun little Sunday school story. Look how God killed millions of people because they were corrupt. And you might say, now pastor, millions of people, was it really millions of people? Here's where they get that idea. Because of, of course in Sunday school, you never say, but you kind of get the impression that the earth isn't very well populated yet. That there aren't a ton of people yet to, to be corrupt. And so God's not killing that many. Your first point there on your note sheet, I'm gonna, I didn't give you fill in the blanks because I'm going to throw a lot of information your way, a lot of facts and then we'll do some more theological stuff. So the first thing there is that they estimate 1,656 years have passed from creation to Noah. You're in about 2,348 B.C., okay? 1,500 years or so have passed. Right now, the earth goes up a couple million in population a year. Now, back then, it wouldn't have been as quick because there weren't nearly as many people to begin with. But they look at it and they go, okay, estimated, the, the, the lowest estimations is somewhere around 1,500,000. The more liberal estimations place it above 5 million people living on the earth at this point. This was not God saying, okay, there's 100 people and they're all bad, I'm going to wipe them out. Yet the earth was corrupt. He found eight total people that he said, I can save, right? Noah, his sons, his wife, and his son's wives. Eight people. Let's just call it a million, just for ease, okay? Eight out of one million. It's horrific to think about. This is also where they figure out, uh, and if you're wondering, I put underneath there, if you go into Genesis chapter, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 5, you see all of the genealogies from Adam down through to Noah, and then as well, Noah is 500 at the end, at, Noah is 500 years old when he begins building the ark, he's 600 years old when they board it. That's where they get that math from. That is not my math. Do not worry. I did not sit in my office because I'm really bad at math. So I was not in my office going, okay, one plus two plus three. Why? Okay, so he was 400, but he was 800 when we had this kid. So now we've got to subtract it. No, no, I didn't figure that out. You can trust that. But that's where if you want to know where they get that math from, that's where they get it from. Genesis chapter 5 and then as well at Noah is 600 when the ark is closed and the flood actually happens. So this was not just this little thing that God's like, okay, it's this little pocket of people all living together and they're all evil, so I'm just going to get rid of them. The world was populated. Millions of people. And every single one of them, except for eight, is not righteous. And you might sit there and go, Pastor, there had to be other righteous people, right? Millions of people, there had to be somebody. Does God make mistakes? No, he doesn't. And God found eight righteous people to save. Kind of puts it into perspective for you just how bad the earth is, was at that point. We read right in the New Testament that the end times, the earth will be like it was in the days of Noah. This isn't the sermon for today, but I'm here to tell you, church, you're getting there. Not you individually, 
the earth is getting there. It's close to that point. I would personally say it probably is like it was in the days of Noah, but I don't know for certain. I wasn't there. It was about 4,500 years ago, if you believe a young earth theory of about 6,000 years. So here we are, millions of people like that. Noah is 500 before he begins building the ark. We read that in Genesis chapter 5, verse 32, we put there. Now here's the thing. We don't know what Noah did, what his occupation is. What do we normally say his occupation was? What do what, what we hear in Sunday school? Does anybody know? He did vineyards. That's what, every, that's what everybody always says, right? Because after he gets off the ark, that's what he does. So you figure, and logically it makes sense, that he would probably go back to doing what he had done before the year that they spent on the ark. That makes sense, right? If you had to hold up in your house for a year and then got back out, you'd probably go back to doing what you were good at. Makes sense. But I want to point something else out to you. First off, we know, now they want to tell us, the world wants to tell you that humans didn't begin metalworking for millions of years. But we know, because of Genesis chapter 4, verse 22, that humans at this point were bronze working, which is metalworking, and woodworking. Noah is 500 years old. Do you think he might have picked up an extra skill or two in those 500 years besides just planting olives? We don't know what Noah did. But right when we're in Sunday school, you're always given the impression, well, Noah didn't know how to do anything besides plant vineyards, so it's even more incredible that he built this big old boat. I'm here to tell you, he probably did know how to use wood. Now, build a boat that size, no, he had never done that before. But he probably had some skills in metalworking. He probably had some skills in woodworking that allowed him to be able to do these things. I'm not saying he was a master or anything like that. But he had a basic working knowledge of these things that allows him to do what he has to do. He probably was not uh, good as a, a zookeeper, though, so that was probably new to him. So this is the man that God chooses, 500 years old. Here's the thing, right? Can you think about that? Also, he's like 400, 500, year, 400, 500 years old before he has his first kid. He is exponentially older than I am, older than you are. The oldest person in this room is more than 300 years younger than he was when he had his first child. That's kind of astounding to think about, isn't it? Now, granted, yes, they lived hundreds of years back then, and that there's various reasons for that that we can get into at some point. Um, first off, sin hadn't taken as big a toll on the earth as it has now. As well, the flood, most people believe the flood actually greatly shortened people's lives. We'll talk about that in a second when we actually talk about the flood. That's not anything theological for you. I just find that interesting that he's hundreds of years old when he has a kid. Can you think about that? Nope. So, I pondered it for a minute. So, let's, let's talk a little bit more about what the earth was like, right? So, we know from Genesis chapter 5, verse 5, and I tried to give you all the scriptures there that I'm pulling from that aren't in what we read, that men cared only about doing evil. Now, here's why I don't think we're quite in the days of Noah yet, because there are still men and women who are not Christians who try to do good. 
They miss the mark. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to heaven or anything like that. But there are still men and women who are not Christians who their only intent is not evil. So we can't be quite as bad yet as the days of Noah. Because Genesis tells us that the only intent of men's hearts, and I'm sorry women, you're not excluded from this. It's not just the male with the XY chromosome. It's everybody. Their only intent was to do evil to each other. Can you think about that for a second? Can you imagine how horrific that world must have been and how quickly it got there? 1,500 years is all it took for the world and people to be so corrupt that God said, I'm killing them all. I'm done. 1,500 years. We've had a little over twice that. It's... It, it, this story is not as feel-good as we try to make it out to be sometimes. Now, it has a feel-good ending, but there's a lot of wrong in it, a lot of hardship. The only intent of a man's heart was to do evil. Right, there are times, you feel this, there are times when you want to do the wrong thing. Maddie and I have been married, so this is great. She's like, I'm married now, so I have to be all of your sermon illustrations. I'm like, you're right, wait till we have kids, and then it will be them. I've been looking forward to this since I decided I was going to be a pastor. Maddie and I have been married three weeks today. And there um, have been times where uh, she's perfect. It's me. Where I have been like, I asked you to do this. Now I just want to be angry because you did not do it. Three weeks in, and I'm already an idiot. Good news, I was an idiot before that. <laughs> there hasn't been a massive change. Now she just gets to experience it all. But, but right, so there are times, even with the person in this world who I love more than anybody, where I still have evil intent in my heart. It's not like, oh, I'm going to kill her. You know, not that type of evil, but just like, I'm angry. I'm upset, and I shouldn't be. And I'm sure you felt that with a spouse or with other people or just whatever. There are times, we've been, we would be in the car and she'd be like, what are you upset about? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just angry. She's like, what? I'm like, I don't know. I have no reason to be. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing going on. I'm just ticked off. I wake up angry most mornings. And you know what makes me just a little bit angrier? Let me tell you this. She enjoys mornings. So she's all happy-go-lucky in the morning, and I'm like, why am I awake yet? It's good. It's good. But right, so even these simple things now, I'm like, I have evil in my heart, and I have Christ in me, and I still have evil. Can you imagine what this was like when the only intent, there was no love, there was no joy, there was no peace, there was nothing but hatred and evil in the hearts of men except for eight people? And that's the world that Noah lives in. Right? We often think to ourselves, well, how could God destroy everything? How could he not? The creation that he had made that was so perfect, it took 1,500 years, which is a blink of the eye to, to him, had turned its back completely on him, and not only just, okay, you know what, God, I'm a sinner, I know that, I'm trying to follow after you. No, there was none of it. 
And so he decides to do what he's going to do. Now, let me throw some more information your way. How long is a cubit? Maybe. There are a minimum of three different lengths for a cubit used by the Babylonians, the Egyptians, and the Hebrews. All of them were different. 18 is about the median. They ranged somewhere from 15 inches to about 22 inches. The most recognized one would have been the royal cubit, which if you see there is 19.8 to 20.6 cubits. How did they get that elbow to fingertip? Whose arm was it? I don't know. <laughs> Somebody's arm was about that long, and that's how they decided what a cubit was going to be. So how big was the ark? The answer is we don't know exactly. We can have a guesstimate, but we don't know exactly because we don't know exactly which cubit was used. And it's quite possible, I don't think this is what happened, but it's quite possible that Noah's out there and he's like, screw the other cubits, I'm just going to use my arm. And then who knows how long it was. It was really big. That's what we know. It was a big old boat. Now, most of the time in Scripture, or not in Scripture, in Sunday school or in pictures, we see the ark as this big box, right? And everyone's like, that wouldn't float. See, the story's false. And I'm like, you're right. That wouldn't float. That would sink like a rock. But when have you ever seen a big boat built like that? <laughs> you don't. Most likely, this was built more like what we, and I, I, I forgot to put pictures in here, more like what we would think of a Greek trireme. It's got the, 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 it comes down straight, and then it comes down to a point underneath, and that helps it to cut through the water. As well, and this is something, a lot of people are like, well, how did they steer the boat? It had no sails. And they weren't really interested in steering. They were interested in staying afloat. And most likely, now here's the thing, if you look at pictures of the ark, uh, the ark uh, that was built with the Creation Museum, right? You'll notice that the one end has a, a, a fin type of thing that comes down, and the other end has a fin that's up in the air. Now, most, picture, most people would think that the fin that's underneath the water is the front of the boat, because most boats are built like that. It's not. That's the back of the boat. And the one up top is the front, and here's why. It helped it when it caught the wind to not break apart. The boat would turn instead of just shattering against the harsh winds. This was not just a crap job. They knew what they were doing. They were building a boat that had to last. They didn't know how long, but they knew a long time. And it had to face weather like had never been seen before. I want to talk about the weather for just a minute. So, the earth back then was a tropical climate. And we realize, we see in scripture, that it had really never rained before. Now you might say, how did crops grow? There were rivers underneath the, the, underneath the land that kept the land fertile, that kept the land moist and good for growing. So here's Noah at 500 years old, and he's like, hey y'all, it's going to rain. And they're like, what's rain? We look at people, we look at him and go, how can those people not believe Noah? He's telling them a whole bunch of stuff that's going to happen that has never happened before. Half of them can remember half of history. And they don't, they're like, this has never happened before, Noah. You're crazy. And this is why, uh, this is another reason why they believe that lifespans shorten significantly after 
the flood because this canopy that was over the earth blocked the bulk of the sun's UV rays. You know that those rays that give you the nice tan that also give you skin cancer? Those rays, they were mostly blocked. But when the flood happened and God sent the rains upon the earth, this canopy literally fell to the earth. And the sun's rays were, people were exposed to the sun's rays and lifespan shortened significantly as it went because now our bodies were exposed to something that kills us. The other question that a lot of people get to say, well, the flood couldn't have happened. Where did all the water go? Didn't evaporate, did it? Well, a little bit. Let's say there's a million gallons of water, and there was far more than that, but let's just say there was a million. And a thousand gallons of water happened to evaporate. You still have almost a million gallons of water that has to go somewhere. Most archaeologists and such believe that the earth did not exist in the way that we see it now with continents spread out by miles upon miles of ocean. They believe that happened after the flood. Now, they used to believe it was Pangea, right? The idea that all the continents were together and then they broke apart. One of the more prevailing theories now is that actually what happened was the water just settled. And you created, and God created continents that way. Whichever way it is, the bulk of the people believe, and I, I, I'm not smart enough to disagree with them, so, and come up with a theory that makes sense, that most of the water is what currently makes up the oceans. As well, people go, well, there had to be a ton of water because they had to cover mountains. How much water would it have taken to cover, you know, the tallest mountains in the earth? There weren't mountains like that yet, most of them believe. You see, as that much water, you, you ever have to carry water? You know how heavy it is? As the water floods the earth, and not just from rain, right? The Bible says that it breaks up from the deep. The earth gets pushed down, the land mass. Mountains can get pushed up. So the mountain ranges that you think of today didn't exist before the flood. They existed after the flood. The flood didn't just kill millions of people. It completely and utterly changed the earth that you live in today. It didn't exist like it does now. Mountain ranges and large valleys and stuff like that. That's not how it was. So I've thrown a lot of information your way, hopefully, so that it, when, when people come up to you and be like, well, where did this happen? See, the flood didn't happen because you can't answer this question. Now you can answer some of those questions. Let me tell you some, we'll end here with some theological stuff, just for a minute. The earth is horrible. It's filled with dirty, rotten people, except for eight people who are not perfect but they're righteous in the eyes of God. And God's got a plan to fix it. And he does. And the earth repopulates and stuff happens afterward. But I see a tiny parallel between this moment and a moment that happens some 3,000 or so years later. When a man called Jesus dies on a cross to save a world of dirty, rotten people who had turned their back on him. You see, I think God said, I destroyed the earth once. I'll do it again. 
but not yet. I'm going to provide another way. Noah was the salvation for his family and for a whole bunch of animals. And we could talk about the animals someday. We're running out of time here, so I won't regale you with the stories of why there weren't as many animals on the ark as you think there were and stuff like that. Noah was the salvation for seven people. Christ is the salvation for millions. And you might say, well, Christ saved way more. I'm not sure that percentage-wise that's true. Seven people out of millions, a couple million, a couple million out of billions that have lived, trillions that have lived on this earth. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Noah is equal to Jesus in any way. But we like to think we've got it, right? We, so more people, so many more people have understood than back then with the flood. Yes, technically. But I don't think percentage-wise. Now here's the thing, church. God, God didn't even ask you to build a boat. Jesus did that. He had Jesus build a boat. And he said, you go tell everybody. He told Noah. Noah told everybody that would listen. Trying to save somebody and nobody would listen. And Jesus is there and he's saying, tell somebody. I've got a lot of room. I don't have to take animals this time. I only have to take humans. I've got a lot of room on this boat. Please, I'm begging you, go tell people. For a hundred years, Noah told people and nobody listened. He's asking you for like 50. And some people will probably listen. Be the one that brings those people to the boat. Because it's coming. It's not a flood, right? I'm using this as an analogy. But destruction is coming. And God's provided a way out. A shelter in the time of storm. Don't hog the umbrella. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can come together, that we can praise you and worship you, that we can talk about you. I want to thank you that you, you decided that Noah and the other seven were good to go because I wouldn't exist if you hadn't. Father, help me to share. Help me to keep that door open and say, Father, not, not, and say to people, come on in, come on, come on. Let me show you who Christ is. You can't come across the threshold unless you've accepted, but man, please accept. Help me in each and every moment to do that. Father, I thank you for this story that also shows us that you've got a plan and it comes to fruition. We praise you into the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.